Today's episode of Setting the Edge is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash setting edge. That's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. I'm popping bottles tonight. Come do for a fight if you're ready. I'm popping bottles, baby. I'm popping bottles, baby. Mm. I'm popping bottles tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the Setting the Edge podcast. You're listening to episode 26. I'm your host, Justin Mosqueda. You can find me on Twitter at Jumos, J U M O S Q. I'm here with my co host, Charles McDonald. You can find him on Twitter at Four Verts. We're joined here today by a very special guest, Robert Mays from uh, The Ringer. You can find him on Twitter, at Robert May. Say what's up to the people, Robert. Hey, guys. What's going on? Oh, we're doing good today. Just relishing in our beautiful season previews that we have going up on SettingEdge.com. You can check them out now. We're rolling through the NFC North right now. So if you want to go, if your favorite team is in the AFC North, you can go up on the website, SettingEdge.com, and we have season previews and videos up there. And we just posted the Bears one today, actually, and uh, Lions tomorrow, Vikings, and then Packers on Monday. So I think that's a good point to start off, the Bears. And Robert's a big-time Bears fan, and he's been enthusiastic about their move to go trade up and get Mitchell Trubisky. So... What? That's one way to put it, sure. <laughs> are, are you still uh, on the edge, or do you feel a little bit better about the move now that we're... Well, a few no, it doesn't away. matter, right? I mean, now right. it's, it's sunk cost. I mean, we're here. This is now the reality that we live in. That doesn't change the fact that it was just terrible process. That's my issue with the whole thing. If Trubisky ends up being a good quarterback, you know, it doesn't really matter that you gave Glennon $15 million for this year, 18 overall. It doesn't matter that you traded three picks to go up and get him. That stuff becomes moot if he is a good quarterback. If he's a top-flight guy, who cares 10 years from now? But in the moment, it's still a series of really bad decisions. That doesn't change. Yeah, I, I, I just – well, what week do you think that he's going to start? Because I, I do think he's going to start at some point this season just because you don't trade up from three to two and not have a guy play this year. So – like midseason, you think he, he pulls the reins from Glennon? I don't think that's necessarily the case. I, I feel like it depends on where the team is, and it depends on how well Glennon is playing. In my mind, the best possible scenario for the Bears right now is they pull something that's kind of tangential to what Philadelphia did last year, right? So you let Glennon build up his value a little bit. You let him play this year. If he plays decent and you have a team that's quarterback needy next year, which you assume there will be, then you can trade him on a really nice contract to a different team. I think that's the best possible case because you're paying the guy $15 million. And I know that when you trade up for a guy, you probably want to play him, but I still think that you can't just waste the guy that you're paying that much money. I honestly think that they'll let Trubisky sit if they don't think there's a ton of value in him playing right away. Yeah, see, that's the thing too is like when you talk about talk about forcing this rookie quarterback to play, the only, re- the only way that I really see that happening is if – you know, like the head, the the coaching staff kind of panics about you know their status with the team, right? So like if John Fox ends up dropping like the first you know six games, right, and then they're in a spot where it's you know court, quarterbacks are job security, so you know vaulting that one out. But as long as they're able to like hover around five hundred ish, I don't I don't see a reason why they would need to play Mitchell Trubisky you know year one. 
And I feel like they'll be competitive enough where that's in play. I think the defense has enough bodies on it. The coaches are people that I respect enough and that I have enough hope in that they can be competitive throughout. They can win enough games to keep Glennon in there, to keep Trubisky on the bench. And then we'll revisit this entire conversation again next offseason. That's my <laughs> thought about it. But I don't it, – it, it, it could go any way. I mean, I didn't expect my team after signing Glennon to trade up for Trubisky at number two. So I, who I, I apparently know absolutely nothing. So I'm probably not the right person to talk to about this. All right, that's that, that's fair. Do you think that the Bears could be a team that uh, take a step forward this year? Just because when you look at their defense, their pass rush could be top ten this year in the league, and the secondary doesn't look great. But if you have a good pass rush, that can mask a lot of things. And hopefully McPhee can stay healthy, and they're going to have year two of Floyd and Keen Hicks had a big season too last year. So where do you feel about the Bears as a team that potentially takes a step forward? I think they have to. I mean, by virtue of being a team that didn't do very well in close games last year, you know, they had a pretty skewed record when it came to those. That often normalizes. You have a team that their offense is probably going to be about what it was last year. I mean, I know that Alshon Jeffrey's gone, so the receivers are a huge concern, but I like Kendall Wright. I always have thought he was a pretty solid player. He's not a star, but he can play a little bit. If Kevin White's healthy, I think that the offensive line and Jordan Howard and whatever you get from Glennon, they'll be fine. There'll be a bad offense. Let's say 22nd in DVOA. And the defense, I think, has a chance to be good. You know, not just a bounce back year, but like a very good unit. If you think about McPhee getting healthy, Eddie Goldman barely played last year. Right. So you have Hicks, Goldman, McPhee, Floyd. I mean, even guys like Willie Young and, and Lamar Houston is it's anything you get from him is a bonus at this point. But that front seven has a chance to be really good. And I know the corners aren't getting anybody excited. I mean, you're not really pumped up about Prince of Mukamura and Marcus Cooper, but they're actual NFL players, which you that's more than you can say about the guys they had last year. So I feel like right now the defense is improved personnel-wise and just by virtue of injury luck, you're going to have more guys around this year. I think they have a chance to be like a top 12, top 10 unit. I really do. Yeah, and I think that offense could kind of – like I was surprised when I was running the numbers for our little preview how well their offense – like how efficient that offense was outside of turnovers. I think they were uh, they were seventh in uh, yards per completion and they were sixth in yards per carry. They were eighth in sack percentage and they were ninth in tackle for loss percentage. So if they could just be like literally league average at not throwing the ball to the other team and you know getting the ball into their own receivers' hands, like that offense can kind of run itself a little bit. It's almost as if bringing Brian Hoyer back for very little money and just letting him ride out the season would have been a good idea. But who would have thought about that? I don't know. Apparently nobody except for me. Who's to say? Who's to say? At least you guys are God. running with, with Matt Barkley because he was just unbelievably bad. Like, what was that game against Detroit where he threw four picks? Uh, and I, like there, there, I remember there was an article, I think it was on Pro Football Focus, halfway through the season or halfway through his little run, where could Matt Barkley, could Matt Barkley be the Bears quarterback of the future? And then he goes out and has that game against Detroit. So, I mean, Glennon and Trubisky, it's a step up from where you were last year, don't you think? I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think that Mike Glennon has a higher ceiling than Brian Hoyer because there is no more known quarterback quantity in the world than Brian Hoyer. But I wouldn't necessarily pencil it in that Mike Glennon is a better NFL quarterback than Brian Hoyer. Hoyer is fine. He is just like the yeah. def. He he is a. I don't. I'm trying to find. He's like fast food. I mean, like you know what you're gonna get. Like when I go to Taco, <laughs> I don't go to Taco Bell expecting to get a 
five like a five star meal. It's not a Michelin restaurant, but I know exactly what it is. I can't be mad at Taco Bell for being Taco Bell, and I'm not going to be. The same thing is for true for Brian Hoyer. Like I'm not upset that Brian Hoyer isn't Tom Brady. Nobody ever asked him to be, so I, I don't mind it. I think that he's just meh, and I don't know if Mike Glennon can even get to meh. I know he has the potential to be much better than Hoyer, but I wouldn't pencil it in that it'll be as good. Yeah, Mike Glenn's yeah, but- career has been so weird because he's always been the guy that people want, but as soon as he gets to a place where he can have the job, it's like it's snatched from him. We saw with uh, at, at NC State, you know, Russell Wilson came and uh, played over him before he got his chance senior year, and then he goes to Tampa Bay and he has some moments when Josh McCown gets hurt, and then they end up drafting James Winston. Now it finally looks like he has a chance to start for the Bears and. They draft Mitch Trubisky number two overall, so he, he I I, I kind of like what I've seen from him in short spurts, but again, like you said, he's he's still a pretty big unknown to this point because he hasn't thrown that many passes. I mean, before the blowout loss to Atlanta on Thursday night, he'd only thrown like I don't think he had thrown a pass since James Winston had got there. So maybe uh maybe Glennon does bring some stability to that passing game, and they can take a step forward there now. Staying with teams that could take a step forward, do you think that Brian Hoyer could be a guy that maybe gets San Francisco to like three or four wins this season? To me, it's not about Hoyer in San Francisco. Yeah. It's more about just how much I believe in Kyle Shanahan. I mean, if you look at what they did in Cleveland, even when Hoyer was the quarterback there in 2014, that was a very real offense for the first five or six games of the year. Yeah. Obviously, that offensive line in Cleveland was much better than the group that San Francisco has now. But I still just think that you could – get 10 guys off the street and you can have Shanahan play quarterback and it would still look like a reasonable NFL offense. So I feel like just by virtue of him being there, they have a chance to be better this year. Yeah. Uh, it's just hard. Cause that defense is still very, it's still really bad. And I, I like what they've started to do with uh, adding Solomon Thomas to Ark Armstead and DeForest Buckner. If Armstead can stay healthy, I think he's going to be a solid player. But they don't really have the depth yet, and that secondary is going to be really, really bad. I, I think I've seen people get excited about the 49ers. I think you should be excited about the direction that they're heading. But uh, for people saying that they're going to take that next step uh, this early in the rebuilding process, seems seems a little bit rich to me. Let's be clear. I don't, I'm not excited about the 49ers. <laughs> I just think that they're going to be better than they were last year. I mean, yeah, the secondary is bad. It's the same guys that were there last year. I mean, they haven't gotten worse because they didn't have any players to lose. I mean, all they've done essentially is have a, a draft pick in the top two, which, you know, with several more draft picks after that, courtesy of a really <laughs> stupid football team. You go get uh, Simon Thomas. They signed Earl Mitchell. I mean, they just have the same players they had a year ago, which – that's fine to me. I mean, if you're going to not be any worse and you're going to bring in Kyle Shanahan and a couple, I don't know, I guess you can call them interesting pieces on offense. I mean, they gave Kyle Juszczyk like $17 million to play yeah, fullback for them. Ridiculous. But I, I just think that with Shanahan and with essentially the floor that they had a season ago, there's nowhere else to go but up. They have one real receiver in Pierre Garcon this year, and that alone will improve their offense like tremendously. Yeah, I mean, Pierre Garçon's going to catch at least 80 passes on a Kyle Shanahan offense. He's going to be open enough that it's not going to matter who, who's playing quarterback. And again, Brian Hoyer is not that exciting, but he's better than Colin Kaepernick and Blaine Gabbert. 
Hmm. I think we could argue about that. Like, like uh, I, 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 Char- Char- Charles will put his cape on. Charles will put his cape <laughs> on. You gotta, you gotta worry about this one. Cake. No, but uh, I, I like I, obviously as a Falcons fan, I'm I even though it ended so poorly, I'm pumped to see what Shani does as head coach. Like that that's gonna be one of my teams next year. Yeah, I mean, I just like watching him coordinate offenses. Yeah. That's always true. Whether it was Washington or was going out in Atlanta, he just is very good offensive football coach and. I think they have enough NFL players by virtue of it being an NFL team that they'll be fine. And they're not going to be good, but they're going to be watchable at least. And what do you think about uh, the Tennessee Titans potentially taking over the AFC South next year? Because I, I, I think that with the weapons they've given Marcus Mariota, uh, Corey Davis, Taiwan Taylor, I think that could be a team that wins the AFC South if, if Mariota can stay healthy. What do you think? I absolutely think that could be true. I mean, you go beyond what they have on offense – Really, what they needed on defense was to go out and get some guys in the secondary, and that's what they did. You sign Cyprian, they sign Logan Ryan, they go get uh, Adore Jackson in the first round, that second pick that they had after trading down a little bit. So you had pieces at areas of need, and then on offense, they needed a receiver, and they went and got a few of them. You know, they got Taylor, they got Corey Davis, they went and got Johnny Smith, who's just a big athletic tight end in a huge class of them. I mean, it seemed like there were twenty guys that ran four or five, and he's just another guy that can stretch the scene for them. I think they have a lot of intriguing pieces that they added to an already intriguing team. And if I was picking a team to win that division right now, it would probably be the Titans, yes. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing, too. Is like I remember uh, it was a couple days ago. I think Charles and I were talking about James Winston against Mar- Marcus Mariota or something like that. So I ended up looking at uh, the Arlats page for uh, the Tennessee Titans. And I didn't realize they had Delaney Walker, Jason Morrow, and John U. Smith. And, like, Jason Morrow, I know you can say whatever you want. I mean, he was athletic coming out of school, and it takes uh, it takes a while for tight ends to catch on historically in the NFL. So, like, just those three guys, like, I, I, this team can really do a little bit of everything considering their depth now at, you know, tight end, at running back, and, you know, even considering they, they have bodies at receiver if they don't have proven talent at least. Yeah, I totally agree. And then, I mean, you go beyond that. I mean, think that, you know, Tajay Sharp was clearly miscast when everyone was trying to make him the number one receiver last year, but he's a capable player. I mean, he's not a number one receiver in offense, but he can play. So the fact that now you have an actual number one guy in there, hopefully in Corey Davis, you can't expect that for in year one. But going forward, you draft got fifth overall. That's what you want him to be. So now you kind of everyone else slides down a notch. You know, you when you ask when you're asked to be the number one receiver and you're not that, you're going to look like you're out of place. But now that you can be the number two option, the number three option, then you start to get guys in roles that they actually should be in. Yeah, I was. I, I really wanted to see Jacksonville make a change at the quarterback position this offseason to see because I, I think outside of. Bortles like that that should be a team that can compete in the AFC South but that quarterback play is so far below I mean assuming that Watson starts I, I think that Blake Bortles is just he's he's too big of an anchor for the Jaguars to overcome this season I was because when you look at what they signed uh, on defense with Bowie Kalai Campbell uh, and they already had Malik Jackson last season who was tremendous and Jalen Ramsey going to the year two I was I, I really like what they have on defense but Man, like just doubling down on on Blake Bortles and drafting Fournette just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, I, the drafting Fournette to me is a declaration of intent. I mean, when you draft Fournette fourth overall, Jacksonville's fascinating. I actually wrote I'm writing for tomorrow about like the fantasy prospects of every one of the rookies, and I had Fournette first just because I think the volume is going to be there in year one. It was just for this season. And if you look at what Jacksonville did last year, they were fourth in the league in passing attempts, and. 
you know, occasionally that's a product of game script and situation and everything else. But if you look at their game scripts from last year, which Chase Stewart does an excellent job of on football perspective, there were only three games all season where they were they were trailing for more than one by more than one touchdown for most of the game. That's it. They have the 13th defense by DVOA. There weren't these blowouts in Jacksonville last year. They were in games, and there was no reason for them to throw the ball as much as they did. And I think by drafting Cam Robinson, by trading for Brandon Albert, and by drafting for net fourth overall, they're going to try to take the ball out of Bortles' hands. Whether that matters, I don't know. I, I think he might be bad enough that even having him on the field hurts you. But I don't think we're going to see the same type of offense from them again this year. I think they're going to try to mitigate his impact as much as possible. Whether that's enough to overcome him and complement that defense, I don't know. But I think they're going to do everything they can to minimize the fact that Blake Bortles is their quarterback. Yeah, I guess my my question is, is like if you're trying to do all these things to take the quarterback out, or take the ball out of the quarterback's hands, why aren't you trying to find a new quarterback? Because I don't know. Like that's 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 what my question was for their offseason. I mean, if you don't love any of those guys at four, then I don't, I don't mind it. You know, if you take a guy in the second round, you know, you say like, yeah, maybe he'll push Bortles, but if he's not getting first team reps, that never works out. Like if you, unless you're going to say this guy, guy is now our guy, Blake is not anymore, then you're not really doing anything. So unless they were willing to do that, which it didn't seem like they were, then I'm not sure what the other avenue would have been to get rid of Bortles right now. Yeah. And like, the weird thing, too, is Tom Coughlin's kind of done the same thing with Eli Manning. So if you look at quarterbacks drafted since 2005 in the first and second round, um, no one's had more interceptions than Blake Bortles in his first 32 starts with 39 interceptions. But that exact mark was hit by Eli Manning in his first 32 starts. So if you're going to tell, you know, you can't go up to – this is the weird thing with, like, situa- like when, when uh, decision makers – find an outlier it's hard to look at them in the face and tell them you can't do that and you can't succeed because you hit on one of the outliers if that makes any sense so like no one could go up to Blake to uh to Tom Coughlin and say you know Blake Bortles can't be an NFL quarterback that leads you to a Super Bowl because he throws interceptions because he literally lived through the outlier of Eli Manning so I, I think that's kind of an interesting thing to watch but uh, what 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 type of situation does this team get into at the end of the year if they know Blake Bortles isn't their quarterback do they just force Chad Henney into that role to make sure that he doesn't get injured and, you know, that fifth-year option ends up getting locked in? I mean, I, I'm not sure what they end up doing. I think that uh, – I don't know. I mean, that fifth-year option is – I think they can just cut him next offseason. I don't think that's a huge deal. I mean, the, the injury thing is what really makes it a question mark. But I don't know. I, I think that he's terrible again this year. I could absolutely see them finishing in the top 10 again, the top 12, and saying, we're taking a quarterback. I mean, apparently there's a bunch of guys next year that are worth looking at in the first round. So – it wouldn't surprise me at all if this was the last year of Bortles and they just press the reset button next season, which is tough to do. But at this point, I think we're reaching the end of the road. Yeah, at least they have a real team in place where they shouldn't sink all the way back down to like one in fifteen, two and fourteen area. Because I think that that, like you said, the defense finished thirteenth in DVOA last year, and based on just the pieces they added, if everyone could stay healthy, I don't see why that why they can't like push towards the top ten range. No, absolutely. They should be at least in the top 10. Just by talent alone, on accident, they should be in the top 10. Right. So let's go to another team that uh, might take a couple steps back this year, the Detroit Lions. Now, they were, like, when Justice was looking at, uh, I guess, the close game wins, they were just extremely lucky, and most of their wins came within, uh, what was it, like a touchdown or something, Justice? 
Yeah, basically, uh, it wasn't until like week 13 or something like that that, that Detroit hadn't uh, been down in the fourth quarter, and they ended up well, – that was the Saints game, and they ended up with an 8-4 and four record after that. So it's like they, they basically, you know, just on a whim won seven comebacks in the, like the first half of the season. Yeah, I just don't know how sustainable that is. And when you look at their, their the defense from last year, they really struggled to create explosive plays in the in the passing game and the run game. Like Haloti Nada is not what he used to be. I thought Ashawn Robinson really struggled his rookie year. Um, I I just I don't think that adding just Gerard Davis and Jalen Tabor does enough for this defense. And they were the worst defense in the league last year. Right. I mean, they finished thirty second in defensive DVOA. They don't. They didn't have that much talent, right? I mean, Davis, Tabor. So you assume that maybe Tabor gets in play for either that nickel corner role or he probably beat out DJ Hayden. I mean, that wouldn't surprise anybody. But then you look at what – my concern is mostly what are they doing outside of Ziggy Because I still don't know what the answer is to that question. You know, Kerry Hyder played well last year. But when you're relying on a guy who you signed off the scrap heap from like four different teams to end up being your best player in the front seven, you probably have a problem. And that's exactly what happened last year. They just didn't have enough talent up there to overcome what is a pretty mess secondary. They finished dead last in past defense DVOA. And I think that's mostly a product of the fact that with Atsa having a down year, they just couldn't get after the quarterback. And I know that, you know, Davis is supposedly kind of a twitchy guy in the middle that you now have a linebacker to add some speed to the middle of your defense. But that still doesn't help you with the pass rush that was pretty non-existent last year. Yeah, and I think we even saw with Atlanta last year. I've, I've said this a lot, but... It, Atlanta's defense was like the perfect example of uh, how positional value works in the NFL, where you hit on your strong safety and your middle linebacker in the first two rounds of the draft, and they have excellent rookie seasons. Uh, Deion Jones was a monster, especially in the second half of the season, but the defense was still terrible, and that's because the, they just didn't have the horses up front on the defensive line. And I, I, I don't really get how you can allocate a source to middle linebacker. I know they let DeAndre Levy go, but especially when you're relying on Haloti Nada, who is like a hundred years old now and Ashton Robinson, who had a down year. So even if like, even if Davis has a, a good rookie year, you still need Ansa and Ashton Robinson to come back to life before you see strides taken in that defense, just because the, the defensive line is so important. They, they just don't have the guys there yet. Well, even Atlanta, Dwight Freeney is the perfect example. Dwight Freeney is a human football player. That's all you need. That's all you need across <laughs> from a dominant pass rusher. And that's what the Lions just haven't done on the opposite of Ansa. They haven't had anybody that fills that role, whether it's, you know, the, who's the big guy from South Devin Carolina? Taylor. His name yes, Devin Taylor. It's like I, they just haven't had that guy who you say, okay, we have to give some attention to this guy. We have to pay some resource in that direction. They just haven't had that person. And when you don't, and you combine that with Austin not having a good season, that's how you start to crumble as a defense. And when, because you're built on your pass rush, no matter what, as a pass defense, you always will be. And if you don't clear a certain bar, then it's just like taking out the Jenga piece from the bottom of the tower, man. It just goes to hell in a handbasket. And that's exactly what happened last year. And I don't see outside of Austin just being a monster this year, why it's going to be that much different. Yeah. And see, like the thing that I've gotten some feedback from, from uh, Lions fans, they're like, well, we addressed a lot of needs in the draft. Well, the first round pick was an off-the-ball linebacker, which is, you know, one of the least, you know, in, in terms of, uh, you know, 
valued on the NF- on free agent markets. You know, that's one of the positions that is least valued in the league in terms of starters. Um, their second round pick was Jalen Tabor, who's a cornerback who runs in the four, you know, four point six, four point seven range. And then they added Michael Roberts, a tight end who runs a four eight. So like, I, I'm not sure what you know if any of those guys move the needle at all. I know you know the the replacement of you know their linebackers relative to uh, Gerard Davis is going to be huge. But as far as the rest of the draft, I don't know about that. I think the main moves the Lions made this offseason are kind of the remaking of their offense they did by spending all that money on the offensive line. And you saw that with a few different teams this year. That's what they wanted to do. They said, we're going to hammer the offensive line with resources, whether it's drafting a guy, whether it's signing a couple guys. I mean, this is one of the many teams in the league that has at least 40% of their line is going to be new starters this year. And I think that's what they're hoping for. The defense is probably going to be bad. But if you have an offense that has Matthew Stafford playing the way he did last season, which is pretty good, the weapons that they have on offense, which I think are pretty solid. I mean, the... I, I love Riddick. I think Abdul is, you know, whatever. But that, combined with Jones and Tate and Ebron doing what he does, if that line can be good, then I think we're starting to talk about an offense that can creep up to being one of the eight or ten best in the league. So I think that's their plan. Mitigate how meh your defense is going to be by having an offense that actually frightens people. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think a, a team that's similar to – Lions, but it should be better than them. I think the Raiders are kind of are, are similar because I I like that they added uh, Gary on Conley in the first round, but outside of that, I, I still think their defense is going to be pretty poor this year. Yeah, I mean they're probably not going to be very good, but again, I, I think they're an extreme example with this. Their offense is going to be one of the best five in the league. I mean, independent of injuries, unless somebody gets hurt, and that's obviously something we can't predict. But that group that they have, I mean, on paper, it's ridiculous. Uh, that offensive line plus Marshawn Lynch now, you know, you add Jared Cook, who I don't love, but it's still a big, fast guy to the mix with those receivers. And there's a reason that that team fired their offensive coordinator last year after finishing seventh in offensive DVOA. They think there's more there. They think they can be truly great up there with the Atlantas and the New Englands and everything else. And I feel like with the guys they have there right now, I think that's possible. Are you a beast mode believer? Do you believe that he's going to make a, a huge positive impact on this team? If he has 700 yards, it's a positive impact. I, I don't think he needs to be what he used to be. I just think he needs to give them an element they didn't have last year. I'm not a Latavius Murray guy. I don't think he's very good. I, I think Dalvin Cook is going to start there pretty early. I feel like they didn't have any interest in bringing him back to Oakland. Even 60. 8% of the Marshawn Lynch we used to see, I, I think is going to be an improvement for this offense on a football level. Yeah, I agree. I, I just, I, cause I just wonder because sometimes I, I just think about the last time we saw Marshawn Lynch. I, I know that Seattle's offensive line is nowhere near what he's about to play with in Oakland, but it just, it wasn't, it wasn't that good. So I, I, I'm just like, it's dope that we get to see Marshawn go back home and play for the Raiders, but I'm, I'm keeping my expectations a little bit tempered there. Yeah, I don't expect him to be a leading the league in broken tackles sort of back. I expect him to get what's available to him. And in Oakland, with that offensive line, there's a lot available to him. Yeah. Justice, any Raiders takes? Not really. I mean, that offensive line is going to like run itself. I think he could pretty much do anything there. Oakland's backfield kind of split their way three ways anyway. So, like, keeping Marshawn Lynch on a pitch count shouldn't be too hard for that team. Um the weird thing was bringing in uh, Cordero Patterson, right? 
because the thing was they they were talking about you know if you look at the receivers they really don't have the slot type and a lot of people I think thought they were going to go target a slot type of guy when Patterson's not really you know he's not known as a savvy route runner or anything he's a speed guy he's a pure speed guy they wanted Andre Holmes back Andre got a little more money than they were willing to pay him Patterson was kind of the next guy in that conversation for them they like Seth Roberts I mean, whatever you want to say about Seth Roberts, they think that he is that slot guy for them. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I know they like him there more than most people outside of that building do. Yeah, like Seth, I think Seth Roberts is a fine player. He just, like, he gets he's open. Fine. Yeah, he just has a case of the dropsies. Like, yeah, I mean, bit. he's fine. I mean, it's Seth Roberts is, again, it's not one of those things like, man, I can't believe I get to watch Seth Roberts today. I'm so excited. But he's fine. Like, he's an NFL slot receiver. Yeah. Um, all right. You want to dive into some of these questions that we got? Let's do it. Okay. First question from Quavebo Jackson at Giant Raxon. Uh, awful name. As linebackers start to trend lighter and defenses get faster, what's the next big innovation or movement we will see in the NFL? I think we've already started to see it a little bit. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's a copycat league, right? So with Dallas – was able to do with their offensive line over the last three or four years. I think that you're seeing more and more teams really invest in that area. You know, Cleveland had an infinite amount of resources. Like literally, if you were going to say, okay, you have all the draft picks and all the money, what would you like to do? That was Cleveland's situation this offseason. And their choice was to use a lot of money on offensive line. You know, they brought in JC Treader, they brought in Kevin Zeitler, they re-signed Joe Batonio. They that's where they threw the resources. Oakland is the most expensive offensive line in the league. Already said Dallas. You look at what Minnesota did. They signed Riley Reef. They signed Mike Remmers. They draft Pat offline in the third round to play center. They're going to have four new starters. It just seems like more teams are saying, we want to throw everything we have to that spot. And I think getting groups there that can be dominant and taking advantage of these smaller, faster teams in that way is one thing teams are starting to do. The other, and obviously New England is the gold standard, right? You watch that New England game against Houston in the playoffs. I know it wasn't their best showing. But I think it still is an indication of how teams want to plan for really good defenses. And what the Patriots love to do is they'll bring in those 13 personnel sets, those 22 personnel sets, and they'll throw out of them. I think that's what teams are going to try to do more and more often. The Bears drafting Shaheen in the second round, I think, is one of those things after bringing in Deion Sims. More teams using 12 personnel, 13 personnel, to make sure that you have a really difficult formation to defend again against the run so you have those sub packages off the field so by bringing in packages teams don't want to necessarily play as their base anymore and using that as a way to keep teams off balance i think that's what you're going to be seeing more of heavier packages play action out of those and then if teams don't react in the way they should by bringing in their bigger packages then you just run it down their throats and obviously, New England's at the forefront of that because they're at the forefront of everything. But I think you're going to see more and more teams start doing that. Tennessee is also a great example. Now, Atlanta, can, they, they just drafted uh, Eric Sauber after drafting Austin Hooper last year, and they gave Levine Toy and Lolo an extension too. So, And when you look at some of the explosive plays that they had last year, they definitely used a, a decent amount of 13 personnel on those bigger plays that they had. 
And yeah. you know, you can go like th- there's a bunch of teams that do this. I mean, Green Bay doesn't sign any free agents. They signed two tight ends this offseason. Um, the Giants have struggled at tight end for years. You know, they they gave Rhett Ellison eighteen million dollars and then came back and drafted Evan Ingram in the first round. Like it seems very clear that teams and, and all you heard this offseason was, you know, about the draft at least was the offensive line talent right and how teams weren't excited about the offensive line talent and that kind of forced their hand in free agency and things like that or it seemed like the league obviously had a premium on tight end and the offensive line this year that's true but even it's not as if there were all individual offensive linemen getting paid by certain teams i think the only case where that was really true was probably with ronald leary in denver where they said we need desperately offensive line talent we're going to give this guard a lot of money for the most part you had teams that either already had really good offensive lines or teams that hammered it more than once you think about detroit minnesota cleveland uh larry werford going to new orleans with an already really good group there all these teams didn't say all right we need a guard and there isn't one in the draft so we're going to go get one they said we're going to completely retool this area of our team because we're seeing all of these teams around the league hammer that more than once in a single offseason and see an immediate jump forward. So I think that's part of it, but I also think it's more just a matter of philosophy than it is supply and demand. Yeah, that's that's fair enough because when you see when you see guys like uh, Riley Reef end up signing one of the largest contracts in the nfl for a, for a right tackle and things like that it's not like he wasn't the only guy on that line that got money spent on him um th- there were just like weird things like melanie watson got like 18 million dollars to be a swing tackle in denver and like j- just odd things like that though and like jc Tred- I-, I believe in jc treader but like he was a backup center and he's the highest paid center only guy drafted in the first two rounds in terms of a center uh this past offseason like they were just kind of Things that you don't usually see, I guess I would say, in the open market. That's probably true. And, and I think the rising cap was a part of that. You know, The amount of resources that were available were a part of that. I also think that you may see Melanick Watson starting there sooner rather than later. I don't know how hurt Ty Sambrolo was last year, but he was not good. So it wouldn't surprise yeah. me if Watson ended up being the starting tackler. He wasn't great in Oakland last year, uh, but it's not as if they have some entrenched dude there that's like, yeah, Melanick, you're going to be our third guy. Don't worry about it. I-, I think that there are 25 different iterations of how that Denver line could play out. All right. Yeah. Um, next question from a pal, Swoltide. Uh, what is it like working for my father, Bill Simmons? Is he more hands-on or totally hands-off and let people do what they please? I wouldn't say it's either way. I mean, he's definitely hands-on. He's definitely hands-off in a way that you like. I mean, it, it's fun working for Bill because he doesn't. He's never tried to make the people that work for him little Bill Simmonses. He's always let you be yourself. He's always let you explore your own voice, do your own thing. I've always appreciated that. And for the most part, Bill trusts the people that he hires. I mean, he hires people that he knows will do a good job, and he lets them roll. I mean, that's always – I've worked for Bill for six years, and that's always been true. But it's still one of those things where if I ask Bill for help, if I say, hey, I think I'm in like a rut right now. Can you read the stuff I'm writing over the next couple weeks and give me some notes? He will. I mean, he's somebody that will help you. He is interested in everybody he works – that works for him – becoming the best versions of themselves professionally. So I think that for the most part, it's the best of both worlds. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds fun. Um, it's not bad, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next question from our pal Owen Reese at Reese Draft. Which Metallica t-shirt is your favorite and why? 
That's a great question. I have one that's like this blown up version of the Ride the Lightning t-shirt. It's like a limited edition vintage shirt from the 80s that I found in a thrift store in LA that I spent an embarrassing amount of money on. So I guess just by virtue of that, it's probably my favorite. But I don't know. I like the Creeping Death one just because Creeping Death is my favorite Metallica song. So I, I feel like that just form and function kind of overlaps. Yeah, I would be lying if I said I knew anything about Metallica. If we want to talk about rap or something like that. that I, I mean, I can have a bad rap conversation <laughs> if you'd like. I like rap. It's just not as – I don't have the same sort of knowledge that I have when it comes to Metallica. Metallica is like a weird nerd thing for me. I mean, like that 12 Metallica t-shirts thing in my Twitter bio is true. That's not an exaggeration. Like in high school or mostly in middle school, I was the kid who wore the Metallica t-shirts to school. Like that's how people, (laughs) which that's not necessarily what you want to be, but you know, I've managed to grow out of it, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, Next question from our friend, certified big baller at butt school. (laughs) What, what effect do you see the surge of instant players like Netflix having on the TV landscape? Could be in terms of content, show selection, et cetera. I think you've already seen it. I mean, it's an extension of what I think you've seen a lot of on the FX. It's this idea that they let people have ownership on what they're making. I mean, could you imagine Master of None being a television show like 10 years ago? How would you even describe it? I mean, there's there's absolutely no way. And I think that's what you're seeing. It's not just the instantaneous element of it, but the fragmentation. It's the fragmentation taken to the furthest degree. And, And I think that it, in a lot of ways, has helped television become a better product there's better tv now than there ever has been i think that's part of the amount of voices that you're hearing and the different avenues they're being allowed to explore it with yeah i mean even stuff like 13 reasons why uh i just don't know how you put that on on tv even to like just on regular cable network today that have you seen 13 reasons why yet i have not don't all right Justice, <laughs> justice will say otherwise, but I thought it was a miserable experience. It, I've a, heard bad things, is what I'll say. Yeah, <laughs> it, Charles, it, Charles was not down, and it's it starts off super slow. Charles was like eight episodes in, asking me when it gets good, and I'm like, two more, like two more, stick through it. Yeah. Here's the thing: there's so much television out there right now that I can't start something that I've heard people not like. Like, there's just no, one of those things. It's just like. I don't have that. I don't have the time or the bandwidth. I haven't caught up on Fargo yet. I still have to watch this season of The Americans. I What else haven't I watched? I'm watching like The Handmaid's Tale. There's too many things for me to dig into something that I have even heard the slightest bad word about. Yeah, I, I still haven't even gotten to uh, Narcos season two, and I love the first season of Narcos. I don't know. It's just there's, there's just too much going on to catch all of these shows. But to, I got to shame Justice for 13 Reasons Why for a quick second. All right, it starts off like it's two two types of terrible. Like the first eight episodes, you, first of all, it takes eight episodes of thirteen episodes before it gets interesting. What the hell is that? And then like the back five are just terribly dark. Just some of like the darkest TV I've ever seen. That that's like a a, a series. I, I would never watch that again. Yeah, I, I'm gonna watch the leftovers and catch up on that before I'm ever gonna watch Thirteen Reasons Why. I mean, that, that's just the nature of how much stuff is available and how I'm gonna spend my time. Shame on you, Justice. Shame on me. I've never said I've had good takes. I just have takes. <laughs> uh, that's all that matters. From uh, David at underscore uh, Chinch, what Metallica song best describes Aaron Rodgers? 
That's a good question. It's a great question. I would say the thing that should not be, which is about like a destructive sea monster. Just because I've always said that he was a fire-breathing dragon, I think that's the closest thing. Would, would probably be the, uh, the the thing that should not be. That's what I'm going to say for Master of Puppets. All right. Uh, last question from uh, – I lost his, his app, but he said he just wanted to apologize for the Bears. Good, oh. good question, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> that's the question? That was a, it's not really a question. It says uh, from Lucas at almost underscore winner. Robert, no question, really. I just want to say I'm sorry the Bears keep doing this to oh, us. Oh, that's very nice of you. I really appreciate that. I, To be fair, I have a pretty nice life. I mean, like, I am a happy person, more or less. Like, I have friends, and I like to do stuff. And overall, like, it's going to be okay. It was just a really tough first day. I guess that's what I would say. My reaction in that moment was very genuine, but I have since gotten past it. You know, it's I've got a lot to be thankful for, so I think I can get over the Bears making one more terrible decision. Yeah, uh, that's that's kind of how I feel about the Falcons and the whatever happened in that game in February. I'm, I'm you should not feel that way. That is, <laughs> that is not, you should not feel that way. You should be miserable about that. <laughs> I keep saying that I'm over it, and then like I just see something on Twitter, I, I just make a little joke to it. It's like the joke is to help myself cope with it. It makes other people upset, but. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't know if I'll ever actually be over that. I'll just give off the facade that I am. It's amazing that they have to. I mean, those guys are going to be asked about it every single day. I mean, it's never going to not come up. I can't imagine when it's going to stop unless they until they win one. That's going to be a topic of conversation. I'll tell you what, being in that building, man, I've never experienced anything like that in my life. I, I mean, it was just I, I don't even know how to describe it. it the closest thing I would say is I was in Green Bay for the NFC Championship game two years ago. And I guess it was three years ago. Jeez, I'm getting old. Three years ago when Green Bay blew that lead in the fourth quarter and just the amount of energy that got sucked out of there. But even that doesn't even hold a candle to what this was like. I mean, it just turned so quickly. And I don't even know when you thought it was possible. I think it was the Edelman catch where it's just like, maybe this is happening. Yeah. But even by the end... I was just sitting there talking to my editors like, what the hell am I going to write about? I, I didn't know. I mean, it was just – it happened so fast that I think it knocked everybody on their ass. It was a pretty remarkable situation. Yeah, I was ready to get a tattoo of like that Robert Al- – like the picture of Robert Alford running away from Tom Brady on the pick six. I was ready to get that like tattooed on my chest. And then uh, unspeakable acts happened in the second half. So – or even not even the second half, just the fourth quarter. Just embarrassing the peak Falcons thing to do. All right, uh, before we let you go, anything that you're working on you want to let the people know about? Uh, not especially. Uh, again, I'm tomorrow uh, – this is recording this on Wednesday. Thursday, I'll have a – it's like 3,000 words long. I don't know how that happened. About the rankings of the rookies in the NFL uh, this year's draft. So the top 20 guys you know, for this season who you think you'd want. Just looking at mostly opportunity plus situation for almost every single one of those guys. You know, More on Fournette, less on guys near the bottom. But I, I nerded out pretty hard on that. Uh, aside from that – you know, we're digging in now, man. We had our preseason planning meeting last week, so got a lot of stuff that will be on the burner soon, but is very much in the infant stages at this point. Sounds good. And uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, definitely check out SettingTheEdge.com uh, where we have our season previews going up. We have just hit the NFC North lead. The Bears put up today, and we'll have the Lions put up tomorrow, Vikings on Friday, and then the Packers on Monday. So 
That's going to conclude episode 26 of Setting the Edge. We'll be back next week with somebody that we passed in the middle of the week to come on the show again. See you guys then. Thanks, guys.